Good evening. Welcome each one of you to another night to another night of revivals, another night to see what God has for us to dig into his word. It's a special special night, special invitation to the youth to be here with us and I want to say that personally I feel like I would still fall in the youth category for the most part. Um, I'm not sure how I ended up up front here this young in life, um, but then when I get play a good lively game of volleyball, I end up with muscles hurting that I didn't know even existed when I was in the youth, so it reminds me that maybe I'm not quite as young as I think I am, um, but I just wanted to say that Sometimes, sometimes, and I heard it growing up, hear it sometimes today, that youth are referred to as the church of tomorrow. Um, but I really believe that youth, that you all are the church of today. Because you're important to the life of the church today. Yes, for tomorrow as well, but for today, you're needed. You're a blessing to, to the church. You're an integral part of the church, and you're needed in the church today. So just know that you're a very integral part to the brotherhood and to the, to the church of today. I'd like to read a few verses from Psalms 139. I appreciated the illustration. The, so many times we have the warnings of what this will do to me if I choose to do this thing, whatever it is. In this case, it's smoking. If I choose to smoke, it's going to kill me. But yet, many people choose to do it anyway. And that, that can go into so many areas of life. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is my prayer for my own life personally. And it's also my prayer for each one that's here this evening that we are asking God to search our hearts. Because I don't have the scripture, but I, there's a verse that talks about not being able to know the heart of man. That we, we as, as humans, we can be friends with somebody, but we really can't know what, is, what someone is thinking, but yet when we allow God to search us, there's nothing hidden, there's nothing, nothing that's a mystery to him. So I, I did not research the, the laws of Virginia, so I'll just ask you all, in, in Pennsylvania when you go to get your driver's permit, you need to go and get a physical exam at the doctor. Is that how it is in Virginia as well? 
No, you just you just go get your go get your permit. So, and I'm assuming the laws are still that way in Pennsylvania. It's been a been a few years since I had mine. So before you go and get your driver's permit, or maybe it's before you get your license. I'm not sure, but somewhere in the stage of getting your license, you had to go to a doctor, and they do a physical exam to make sure that you are physically fit to be driving on the roads. You also have it for CDLs, that would be a regular occurring, is it every two years maybe, I'm not sure, to have your CDLs, where you go to a doctor and they examine you to see if you are physically fit to be driving a truck, driving a vehicle. Um, so that's kind of what I would like to do this evening is look in, look at a scripture, and just simply go through it, and view this as a spiritual exam, an exam that, with God as a doctor, he's doing an exam of my life. He's looking at my life um, through the Holy Spirit. The, the difference is, when, when you go for a physical exam, there's a few things you can hide from a doctor can kind of maybe fake through some things. Um, if you're in good physical health, you're probably going to pass all that kind of stuff. But yet with this, with this physical, with the spiritual exam, God knows the answers before I give them myself. He's searching us. Um, the results or the tests are not based on my wishes, but rather on the reality of where I'm at with God. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you were here on Monday evening when we looked at the, the two kingdoms, kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, I brought up the, the thought that the United States has a constitution and that it seems like the constitution of the kingdom of God is found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And so I would like to look at Matthew chapter 7. And as we, as we go through this, just view it in, in my own personal life. As God is examining my life, as he's examining my heart, what is he finding? Um... And this exam is of me. I'm not sitting here to try and decide, so how does, how does this guy fit into this picture? No, it's, it's me. It's my heart. Um, Matthew 7, verses 1 through, starting, read verses 1 through 6. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine 
lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So just a few a few points from these verses. Judge not that ye be not judged. Again, in this spiritual exam, this exam is of me, not of others. And just in thinking about that, we can tend to compare ourselves, compare myself, I can tend to compare myself to another person. And I I can say, this person, you know, that's what he's doing, seems all right, I mean, he's doing it, he's a good guy, I can, I can do that as well. Um, but just because everyone else is doing something does not make it right. Someone else's sin does not justify mine. Just because somebody chose to smoke that pack of cigarettes does not make it okay. And another thing we see here is I can't see problems in someone else's life if I have a problem in my life, it's very easy to judge other people, very easy to judge other churches, other cultures. I don't know if any of you all were on the senior trip um, this past week, but that, that is something that we can do when we go into another culture is we view it through the lens of the American culture and instantly begin to judge the way they're doing things, you know, that's just stupid to do it that way or that's wrong to do it that way. But yet we don't realize, we don't even understand why they are doing it that way. I can overlook the shortcomings in my own life or in my own culture, but yet it's very hard to overlook those shortcomings in other people. So I don't, I don't believe this judge not means that the church as a body does not have the right to use church discipline for someone that has unresolved sin in their life or that is unrepentant or whatever it is. Um, the scripture is very clear on this subject. And if you want to read Matthew 18 or 1 Corinthians 5, it gives a lot of clarity on that. We're not going to look at that this evening. Uh, but I'd like to just to move on. We're, we're going through through this whole chapter. There's some parts of it that are more relevant to what we what I wanted to bring out tonight. But we're just going to go through the whole chapter. Um, verse seven through eleven. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Persistent prayers. How am I doing with praying? We, we covered this some last night as well. 
And here Jesus is saying, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Continue praying. And what do we pray about? We pray for areas in my life that needs improvement. Areas that I see that I know I need to grow in. Pray for patience. Pray for grace. And I, for a long time, I, I, it, the word, the term grace, I struggled to understand. Like, how does grace really fit into what I'm doing? And there was a brother that shared at revivals at our church a number of years ago. Uh, brother, his last name was Horst. Right now his first name slipped my mind. But he, he gave a simple def definition of the word grace that has stuck with me. Um, grace is the power of God to do the will of God. And that just really made sense to me of what grace is. When God promises to fill us with grace, when we ask for grace, that is God's power filling us so that when he asks us to do something, we, we can do it because we have the power of God. The power of God is in us to do his will. Pray for grace. Pray for love. Pray for strength to withstand temptation. Pray for our friends, for our siblings, for our families. Pray for my own personal spiritual growth. Pray that God would show you his will for your life. One thing that I, as I look back on my own life as a youth, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't use the energy that I had in my youth to fully serve God. We have so much energy, we have so much zeal and passion, if we can just direct that towards serving God, the amount of work we can do for the kingdom of God is amazing. And it just excites me to think, what, what could happen if each of you, if, each, if all of our youth in, in all, all of our churches would just get totally excited about serving God, about fully committing their life to the Lord, if we would put as much energy into serving God and living for Him as we do into our, into our games, into our, into our hobbies, if we could just take that energy and pour it into kingdom work, what would happen? I really think we would be amazed at what God could do, how God could use us. What if He asks you to do, just do something here? What if he asks to do something in another state? Or to move to another country? To work for him? Pray that you would be willing to serve wherever God calls you.
And the most important place to be, the most important place to fill is in the center, or should word it this way, in the center of God's will is the best place to be. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as an iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So this was after King Saul had went and directly disobeyed what God had asked him to do. Samuel said this to him, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord. It's better to serve God in obedience where I am, wherever he calls me to be, than to live in disobedience and make a sacrifice to serve him somewhere else. There can be a danger in where we know we're not living right, but yet we want to justify or make things right by serving the Lord in in some significant way. But the most important thing is obedience. And when we're obedient, God will use us. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So what I'm The point I'm trying to make is let's be faithful. Let's be obedient where we are right now. And don't depend on the things that I do or the things that I think look great to do to make us right with God, but rather obedience. I have a I'm going to say a passionate desire to see people, young people, any, anybody, all people, all Christians, excited about serving God. Excited about ministry. And for me, ex- I, I just want to see people excited about missions. Wherever that is, whether it's here, whether it's in another country. Because the word is clear. The work is real. The harvest is ripe. The work is waiting for us. But that passion and zeal must start That passion and zeal for serving God must start right now, where I am, right where God has me at this moment. Because jumping on a plane and going to some foreign place does not change who you are. It's not just like an automatic turning from a cocoon into a butterfly. It doesn't happen that way. When you get on the plane and get off in another land, you're the same person you were as when you got on. God uses our experiences wherever we're serving him. It does change us. Like Brother Alice and I were talking about serving 
especially in another culture, changes how we view things. But the zeal and the passion we have for serving God, it's not an automatic making a decision to do something changes who you are. It needs to be part of who you are. Pray for Christ's church. Verse 12, how am I treating others? Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them? For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's easy to say this, and it makes sense when I think about it, but yet when it comes to fleshing it out, sometimes, sometimes it's easier said than done. Because sometimes it's better, sometimes doing something to someone else that I wouldn't want them to do to me makes me, improves my situation or whatever. Like, I see it as a benefit to me to do something to them that I wouldn't want them to do to me. But how, how do I carry that out? Accepting everyone. And this, this can go into all areas of life, not just youth. It's as, as siblings, in school, in the youth, as adults. Teasing. I, I love to tease. You can ask my children about that. And I probably do it too much. But be careful that teasing doesn't go too far. Because teasing can turn into bullying and meanness. So I do enjoy teasing. Feel free to tease me if you get a chance. But don't do anything to someone else that you would not want them to do to you. Don't be a bully. When someone treats me in a way that I do not like to be treated, what should my response be? That goes right, see it's, it's, a, it's a, the flip side of the coin. We treat someone how we would want to be treated, but if they are mean to me, that rule still applies. I still need to respond in a way that I would want to be treated, or that I should be treated. Verse 13 through 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Which gate have I entered, and which road am I on? The majority of the people in this world are on the road that leads to destruction. These verses make it clear. Talking about the broad way, many there be which go in thereat. Talking about the narrow way, few there be that find it. So making decisions in my life based on what everyone else is doing is a very dangerous place to be. If everyone else is doing it, then that's a very good reason to evaluate it from a biblical perspective. That's a very good reason to search God's word, to know what does the Bible teach. On the flip side, unity in a brotherhood is good. A group of Christians faithfully serving Christ are an encouragement 
to each other, to continue on. So we need to know, what does the Bible say? And the everyone else that we, are, that we use in making our decisions, who does that include? The narrow road is not the popular road. It's not the road that everyone wants to be on in the world. But it's the only road to heaven. And it's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through obedience to his word. And these roads are going 100% in the opposite direction. The one road goes that way, the other road goes this way. There's no way to be traveling on both of them at the same time. If you, if you travel through airports, especially the larger airports, they have, I don't even know what the technical term for it, I call it walking belts, where these, like a flat escalator, you can get on it, and it'll carry you down the hallways. Uh, most times, they have them beside each other. The one's going this way, the other one's going that way with a divider in the middle. But now just try to imagine with me a little bit if you could take that divider out of the middle and try to go on both of those walking belts at the same time. If anybody tries it, I'd really like to see it. I mean, it, it would end in a catastrophe to what you're trying to do because the one belt, I mean, just, put, just try standing on it for one thing and you would soon be flat on your face. It's the same way when we try to walk on the narrow way, we try to walk on the broad way, we're not going to go anywhere. You can't do it. It's impossible. Verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Who am I following and who am I listening to? There are many, many voices, many people that we can be listening to. Lots of advice that we can get. Many of the voices sound good. Many of them have good arguments. Many of them have good reasons in their opinions. But what are their fruits? Is their life giving pure and true results? By their fruits you shall know them. I think some obvious dangers that we can know if we follow these people, these voices, there's danger, and that is just thinking of sports figures, political figures. We know that their life, the fruits from their life, is not pure. And if we follow them, we're going to end up where they are. Not, not in a literal sense that we'll be rich and famous or anything like that, but where they're going, we're going to end up in the same place. And then there's some not-so-obvious voices that are dangerous. It's religious leaders that teach false doctrines. There's lots of, lots of podcasts out there, the radio wherever, there's, there's places that we can go to to receive 
teaching from the Word of God. But it's not all true. There is false doctrine being taught. What are their fruits? Mainstream Christianity. There's many people that are under, using the label of Christian that are not living according to the Word of God. Fruits never lie. The seed that you sow is the plant that will grow. It's the law of creation. It's a creation principle. When you plant wheat, wheat will always grow. When we stand before God, when we stand before Him to be judged, it's not going to matter how many thousands of people said that sin isn't sin. It's not going to matter how many good deeds I've done. It's not going to matter how many people I've helped. The only thing that's going to matter is if I did the will of my Father, if I obeyed His teachings, if I had a personal relationship with Him and lived that relationship. Just thinking about, again about the seed that you sow is the plant that will grow. So in Haiti, we had sour oranges and we had sweet oranges. If you planted sour oranges, that tree never gave sweet oranges. If you planted sweet oranges, that tree never gave sour oranges. The only hope for the sour orange tree to ever give sweet oranges is if I'm going to call him a master gardener, a professional gardener would come and he would cut that tree off, just, just leave a stub there and graft a sweet orange into that tree. And I think it's the same way as we plant seeds in our life. We can call the things that we're doing seeds. And we can plant good seeds. We can plant, plant bad seeds. Those seeds are going to grow. My prayer is that we have a desire to plant the good seeds. To get the good fruit that comes from that, from serving the Lord faithfully. But at the same time, if, if we know we've been planting bad seeds, if we know that the sour orange tree is what's growing, it's not too late. Because Jesus is the master gardener. He can cut off that bad tree and he can graft in the sweet orange. However, for that tree, for that tree, it's going to be painful because it's going to be cut off. 
when we have sin in our lives, when we're feeding sin in our lives, there's going to be pain involved. There's going to be a major operation needed. And all that can be avoided by planting good seeds. Verse 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Do I know the Father? Does the Father know me? And I don't think this is a question that needs to be a scary question. Because when I know the Father, and the Father knows me, there's going to be a peace. If that question brings fear into my heart, then that is a sign that I am not right with God. That's proof that repentance is needed, that there's sin in my life. We read these verses, good works and good words alone will not save us. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They said all the right words. They did all the right things. But yet God still said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If we don't know the Father, if we don't have a relationship with the Father, we must do the will of God in every area of our lives. We can't pick and choose which one we'll do, which one we won't do. When we read the Word, we understand this is what Jesus is telling us to do. This is a command from God, what we are to do. But then we begin to pick and choose. This is what happens in modern-day Christianity. As we said, this applies to today, but this does not, so we just ignore this part. When we begin to pick and choose, I believe that is when we'll hear the words, I never knew you. Verse 24 through 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What foundation am I building my life on? When we, again, back to when we lived in Haiti, 
one of the benefits of living there is it's an island. When you're on an island, it means you don't have too far to go to get to water. Um, and beautiful, warm water, not the, the frigid water we have around here when we do go to the ocean. But anyway, beautiful. Um, and one thing, so this one time we were at the beach, we had some visitors with us, and we decided to build a wall out of sand, playing with the children. We just built this, this nice straight wall out of sand. You pack sand, make it sand wet, pack it together, get this nice straight wall. Um, after a while, we were done building the wall, we were off doing other things, but the tide began to come in. And when the waves first started hitting it, the, the wall started to crumble. Before long, as the waves came higher, it wasn't that long before the wall was completely gone. You couldn't even tell a wall had been there before because the sand was totally smooth and flat. It had totally disappeared. Jesus is warning against building a house on sand. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Just like that wall, when the water begins to hit it, that, that sand just crumbles, it just erodes. When we hear Jesus' teaching, when we know, we know what Jesus is asking us to do. We understand what he's telling us to do. And I decide, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm building my house on sand. So back to the thing about picking and choosing. What, what parts of the scripture I want to follow? You know, is it, is it really necessary to follow everything the Bible teaches? Or can we pick out the most important parts and just kind of forget about the rest? Just using that as an example. I don't know if, how many, is anybody here a carpenter or have carpenter experience? One or two people here. But even farmers probably get into this some. Um, so just... Let's just use this example of picking and choosing. So we're going to build a house, and we're going to pick out the most important parts. So that's two of the walls. We're going to build solid rock foundation. But the other two walls, I think if we have those solid enough, we can just do sand on the other two. Or let's, let's do three walls with rock. But the one wall in corner, we're going to just do sand. It, it should be fine because those... Three walls, they are rock solid. I mean, it's solid limestone. It's not going anywhere. We build our house up. We pack that sand real tight and hard on that one wall. What happens when the rainstorm comes? Those of you with carpenter experience, what's going to happen to that house? And eventually, what's going to happen? The whole house is going to fall. That's right. 
it's going to fall. When the storms of life come, if we, if we decide, okay, we're going to follow this part of the Scripture, but this isn't for us. When the storms of life come, that sand is going to erode. And it doesn't matter how solid we are on, what, on, on the parts that we decided to follow. That sand is going to erode. That house is going to begin to tilt. And eventually it's going to fall down just like the house that was only built on sand. The storms of life, sickness, temptation, death. COVID-19, was that a storm? War. We don't face war yet. But if it comes, are we built? Do we have a solid foundation? Do I know what I believe? If I'm going to need to stand in front of a, front of a sergeant and tell him that no, I will not carry a gun. I will not kill anyone. If I'm asked that question, will my foundation stand? Or do I have some corners of my house that are sand that when I'm questioned, when I'm drilled, when I'm beaten, this has happened to people in the past. Am I on the solid rock or is the sand going to crumble? You cannot build part of your life in Christ and part in this world. Your life will fail, your house will fall. A life built firmly on the rock, Jesus Christ, can stand any storm. And I don't, I don't say these things to scare to scare us. Because it, it can seem scary. It's like, even for myself, it's like, would I be strong enough to stand for my faith if there's a gun pointed at me? Would I be strong enough to stand for my faith if I would know my family is going to be hurt? But I don't think we need to approach it that way. We don't need to fear these things coming. Because God promises us that we're not going to be given anything more than we can handle. He also promises us grace. The grace that we talked about before. The power of God to do the will of God. We don't need to be scared about these things happening because we can know that if that would ever happen, if we are firmly grounded on the rock Jesus Christ, He will give us the strength to stand for Him. Verses 28 and 29, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. For He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Am I astonished at Jesus' teaching? Am I filled with a sense of awe? When I study God's word, when I hear his word, so how did I do on this exam? What did my doctor find regarding my spiritual health? So as I read and studied these verses, and especially thinking about the two different roads and how they end up in two
totally opposite places. I talked a lot about the direction they're going, but even more than the direction they're going is where they end up. The straight and narrow road leads straight to heaven. The broad and easy road to a place of torment, to hell. And also about the, the two different houses that Jesus talked about, how the one stood firm, the other one fell. It reminded me of a story that a friend of mine shared with me a number of years ago. And this story is an allegory from his life. And it's just like in... It's an allegory of a spiritual struggle in his life. And just like in all allegories, you can only take the comparison so far. But it spoke to me. It touched me. And because of that, I'm going to share it this evening. I'm going to share it in first person as if I... I am my friend. So imagine a road. It can be a dirt road or a paved road. Just imagine a road. On one side of the road, there's a house. It's a nice house. It's quiet. A calm and pleasant setting. Tidy, well-kept. All the children in that house are well-fed. There's nothing special or eye-catching about it. It's not a great big house, but it's nice. Children are happy. Food is always healthy. And there's always enough for everyone. Directly across the road is another house. And this house is a massive. Imagine the biggest house you've ever seen. The biggest house you can imagine. And then double it yet. It's a glimmering spectacle. Wonderfully decorated. Size beyond compare. The atmosphere is light. It's obviously built to attract attention. So the man of the peaceful setting. The quiet house is Jesus. The man of the glimmering, eye-catching house is Satan. As for me, I enjoyed sitting on the front porch of Jesus' house and gazing across the road at the house across the, on the other side of the street. You see, when I was young, I liked to spend time in that house. I spent a lot of time in that house, in Satan's house, fed on Satan's food, on his poison every day, every chance I had. When I was there, I'd always feel like something's not right, but I didn't care. I liked it there. As I grew older, I realized the importance of being at Jesus' house. I left Satan's house behind, 
and I stayed at Jesus' house. But I still like to keep an ear tuned. I still like to keep an eye on Satan's house to see what was happening. Just to catch a little bit of that music that I used to enjoy. To see something that brought pleasure to my eyes. It brought back memories of the days when I spent time there. I also learned that the key to a relationship with Jesus was talking to him. So every morning I would go into Jesus' house and spend some time with him. But it was 10 minutes max. And then I would go back out on the porch and sit there and look at Satan's house. Sit there and gaze across the street. One day, as I was sitting on the front porch, home improvement trucks pulled into the driveway across the road. And I could see by what was coming in and out that they were remodeling the kitchen. And I could tell by what they were doing that it was going to be way bigger and way better than what it was before. It only took a short time for them to do this. But as I sat there and watched, I began to remember the food that I used to eat. And I knew this because the kitchen was so much bigger, the food would have to be so much better. Being closer to Jesus than I ever was before, I knew that I shouldn't even think about going over there, but yet the temptation was real. And as I sat there and gazed across the street, the temptation became stronger. After a short time, I found myself going out across the yard, getting closer to Jesus' house, closer to Satan's house, standing at the edge of the road and just trying to see what was going on over there. Every time I would leave the porch, I would come back feeling terrible. But then as I sat there and gazed across the street, the next time I went across the road, after a while, I found myself peering in the window, trying to see what's happening. After I did this, I came back. Feeling terrible, I asked for forgiveness. Jesus in his mercy forgave me. But then I went back to sit on the porch and gaze across the street. And again, found myself going across the road towards that house. Every time... I asked for forgiveness. Jesus and, his great, Jesus and his great mercy forgave me. But every time I left his house, the good work that he was trying to do in my life stopped. Every time I crossed the road, every time I went in that direction, the power that Jesus gave me to fight off that temptation became less. After looking in the window a few times, that wasn't enough. I had to see more of what it looked like inside, so I went to the door and opened it an inch. As soon as I could see inside, I remembered what I was doing, 
remembered it was wrong, and I quickly ran back to the porch. But the next day, I found myself opening this door again, only this time Satan was there and he swung the door open wide and said, come on in. Again, I realized what I was doing and I ran back. I knew it was wrong, but sitting on the front porch, looking across the street, the temptation became stronger and I felt like I had to find out what that food was like. So I went across the street. I opened the door wide. Satan was there to invite me in. I asked him about the food. He said, it's better than ever before. Ask for whatever you want. We have it. And I started feeding on the poison. I realized what I was doing. I ran home. I ran back across the street. Before long, I was back again to try some more of the food. It became a habit for me. I would leave the porch to go eat the poison at Jesus' house, and I would come back to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes I'd be sitting there eating, I would be in Satan's house, and I would think I would hear someone calling for me. I would think I would see somebody beckoning me to come. But I ignored it. Even though it made me feel terrible, even though I knew it was wrong, I was learning to enjoy it so much that I wanted someone else to enjoy it with me. I wanted to share it with somebody. I wanted to share it with the person that was closest to me. So I decided to take my wife along with me. I was sure she would enjoy it as much as I did. So I made reservations with Satan. The time and the date were set for Friday night of that week. I told my wife I'm taking her somewhere, but I didn't tell her where we were going. Everything was going as I planned, and I excitedly searched the menus trying to find something that I was sure she would enjoy. What I didn't know was that Jesus knew about these plans. He knew everything about it. The week went by and I was excitedly planning what to order for my wife. I was anticipating the excitement. Thursday night came, the day before we were planning to go, and I was so excited I had trouble falling asleep. But on the very morning of the day of those reservations, at 3.15 a.m., we woke to our phones ringing. Someone was calling to tell us that a person that was very close to us had been killed in a motorcycle accident the night before. After I heard this, I no longer even thought about the reservations we had made. All we could think about was the intense grief we were experiencing. That night, instead of going to Satan's house, we feasted at the real food at Jesus' table. 
The weekend went by, Monday came, and I found myself sitting on the front porch and opening the door to have my daily meeting with Jesus. This time, in all my pain and sorrow, from losing a loved one, as I was pouring this out to Jesus, he said to me, now you know how I feel every time you go to Satan's house. Now you know how I feel every time you leave my house and go to Satan's house. That meant that Jesus was feeling that same hurt, that heart-wrenching pain from losing someone we love. That is the pain that we are inflicting on Jesus Christ. The sorrow and hurt that I was feeling right then, Jesus felt every time I left his house, every time I sinned. Since that time, whenever I'm tempted to look across the street, or even to listen to the sounds coming from the house across the street, I'm always reminded of his words. Now you know how I feel every time you leave my house. So this story is an illustration of a real happening. He said he was that person, the reservations, the dates, the timing of the phone call are real. The words that Jesus spoke to him were as real as if Jesus had been sitting beside him. And it's a reminder that God uses circumstances to get our attention. He uses accidents to make us realize where we are and where we are going. The thing that made this story very personal to me, that man that died was my younger brother. His death caused me to re-examine my life as well. It brought me closer to God, and even though I couldn't understand why that happened, at the same time, it amazed me how God used that to cause someone to turn from their sin. My younger brother was two and a half years younger than me. I was the second youngest. He was the youngest. And we were very close growing up. Did everything together. As we got older, teenagers, I got married. Our life drifted apart in many ways. We were still good friends, but didn't do near as much together. But as he got older, he began to make decisions that were leading him away from God. 
He had a very soft heart. He loved people. And he struggled when he saw somebody come into the youth group that wasn't accepted. He felt for those people. And through that, he began to spend time with more and more He began to reject some of the friends he had and to spend time with ones that he felt were being rejected. Through that, he was introduced to many things that were not beneficial for his life. When he died in that motorcycle accident, there was drugs and there was alcohol in his blood. I had recommitted my life to the Lord just a couple of months prior, but I never had that opportunity to share it with him. We can hope that he had an opportunity to repent. We know that God is a judge. But it is important, the decisions that we make If I would be the one killed suddenly in an accident, where would I be? In closing, I'd like to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I'm just going to ask for a song of invitation tonight and again ask where are you are you in Jesus house feasting on his wholesome food every day are you on the front porch gazing across the street trying to see what's happening at Satan's house are you making those trips to peek in windows of Satan's house? Or are you eating the poison at Satan's table? Which house do you call home? And we use the term home is where the heart is and I say home truly is where the heart is. Where our heart is is where our home is. Which house do you call home? I'd just like to open it up to anyone. If you have been gazing across the street, if you have been spending time at Satan's house, I just beg of you to repent, to come to Jesus, to ask him to forgive you, to give up that life, 